You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. We've been in this wonderful James series as we've been diving in and just looking at how James, uh, the brother of Jesus, is echoing the words of Jesus in this book that is literally, if you pay attention to it and you try to apply it, will turn your world upside down. Why? Because he's echoing the words of Jesus. So James chapter 5, as we started off by James telling us that we're to have joy in trials. How many of you enjoy trials and pain? Isn't it awesome? But James is saying that it's good for you because it perfects your faith. It makes you stronger as you give it to the Lord. James also talked the importance of being not just hearers of the word, but being doers of the word. There you go, you were here. Not just a hearer of the word, but doers of the word. And then he talked about how we're to show no favoritism. And he talked about how we are to tame our tongue. That's the thing that gets us in trouble all the time, isn't it? <laughs> right? To, t- to tame our tongue through the power of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Powerful words, powerful truths. And today, as we round this corner, completing our study on this book, James enters into this area of patience. Because in all these areas, we need to have patience, not only with ourselves, but with others. Have you ever found yourself praying for patience? God, help me to be patient with myself and with this person. See, we are in a culture to where we're actually taught to not be patient. And that came into my life as soon as I discovered something called Amazon. And Amazon Prime. See, right now, I, I, I can go in, if I want some fruit, I can order it online, and it'll be at my door in two days, baby. Or I can go online and order whatever it is, a power cord, whatever it is. I was looking at fixing my bathroom, and I was trying to find the right piece for it, and it was online, at your door in two days for a great price. See, back when I was a kid, which did didn't seem it was that long ago. I'm an 80s kid. How many 80s kids we got here? Okay. Be me proud. Loud and proud. Okay. So in the 80s, uh, not only was my hair longer, but you also had to wait for things longer. Because see, if I wanted something back then, or my parents were getting something for my birthday or for Christmas, they had to do something called a catalog. A catalog. Anyone never looked at a catalog before? Okay. And I'm not talking online catalog, I'm talking about a piece of paper that if you went to the coffee table, we had a coffee table in our house, even though we never drank coffee as, as growing up, but we had a coffee table that had this big, thick Sears and Robux catalog. And in that, you could find almost everything, and if you called right now, or you went to a Sears and Roebuck actually ordering store, which wasn't even in my town, I had to go to a neighboring town, if you order now, you could get it as quick as within four to eight weeks. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? Four to eight weeks, and that wasn't even considered being patient, that was fast. How many of you are willing to wait four to eight weeks for something right now, right? Everything's fast-tracked. Everything is right there. For me, I was waiting 48 weeks. I got this new gaming system called Atari. Okay? And I wanted to order this brand-new game called Donkey Kong. It's, yeah, Donkey Kong is where it's at. And so I had to go through that whole process, 48 weeks, and, man, I couldn't wait. The excitement, the anticipation, the joy that was going to come into my heart through the power of the Lord and Donkey Kong was amazing. Four to eight weeks. But we realize 
in our culture that it's actually countercultural. And there are things that the Lord is doing in our lives, in our relationships, that if we are not careful, we can give up when God's saying, don't give up. I'm just getting ready to move in your life and to do that. But to do that, we need patience. We need patience. So let's look at this today, patience. James chapter 5, verse 7 through 20. And I'm reading from the ESV version, the English Standard Version. Would you read with me this morning? Let's read together. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patient, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Now, Lord, as we dive in, let our hearts be a fertile ground that you can plant your seeds. Fertile ground that you can plant your truth. Your word is life-changing because it's your word, not mine. So Lord, use this now, your word, to transform us, to strengthen us, to help us realize the importance of patience in our walk with you. And we say all this through Jesus Christ, the name above every name, our King, our Lord, who loves us today. And everyone said together, Amen, amen, amen. So this morning as we go through, the first thing that we want to focus on as we start this off, we need to realize that patience comes through a promise. See, in the beginning of this chapter, James 5, 7, it says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now remember, when James is talking about being patient, 
He's talking to a group of people who are going through great persecution. Not just because it takes eight weeks to get Donkey Kong in the mail, but great persecution physically. Following Christ has meant they've lost many of their friends. They've lost jobs. They've lost so much. And they've actually been dispersed, in many cases, for threat of their own lives and their families. This is a persecuted group. And he's saying, be patient, but he's putting some hope in front of them. He's saying, until the coming of the Lord... See, our patience is rooted in hope. And when the Bible talks about hope, it is referring to heaven. Have you heard of heaven? When I was a kid, heaven was talked about all the time. We sang about heaven. It was the hope. It was talking about it. And for me as a kid, I was a little nervous about it because my parents would say to me, who I love if they're listening, who I love deeply and dearly, but they would say to me, Dwayne, can't you wait to get to heaven? It's going to be like being in church 24-7. And I was like, no! I, don't, I love Jesus, but I don't want to go to heaven. True story. That was literally it. See, my whole paradigm of what heaven meant had to change. Heaven is amazing. And as we go through, this, this is not a sermon on heaven, but as you study what heaven is, it is amazing. And it causes your heart to long to go there. And even here in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, But we do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and he rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Doesn't that sound incredible? It sounds like a movie. Where Jesus comes back and forever we are with him. Forever, forever. For the Sandlot fans out there, okay? It's forever. It's an amazing place. See, I think sometimes that we forget that we are actually living in a broken world, what the Bible often calls a fallen world. See, God made a perfect world in the Garden of Eden. And he entrusted this world to us. When you read through Genesis, you see that God made this perfect world and he entrusted it to us. And he gave it to us in perfect condition because God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make junk. Look around the room today and you'll see a room filled with masterpieces. You know the Bible calls you a masterpiece today? That's how God made you. The Imago Dei in the image of God, you are a masterpiece. He doesn't make junk. But unfortunately, when the Lord handed the world over to us, we broke it because sin entered the world and with it came death, Romans 5, 12. Romans 5.12. I think about a lot of things. There's a lot of things that my dad entrusted me to. And I think, my goodness, how many fishing poles did I break as a kid? (laughs) And I think sometimes we can look back and we can point the figure at Adam and Eve, but the reality is any of us would have done it. Any of us would have done it. See, we're living in a broken world. And the Bible also tells us that this world is not our home. This world is not our home, but that God, through Jesus, has made a way for us to return to him and to redeem. That's why in 1 Peter it says, friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense 
of your soul. Then Hebrews 13, for this world is not a permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come, yet to come. See, heaven's appeal or lack thereof, sometimes it, it's, it's kind of dependent on how we're feeling at the moment, right? Because you wake up, you have a good day, I see Mount Rainier, I see Mount Baker, I see the Cascades, I see all those things. I'm like, Lord, this is a beautiful place. And we fall in love with it, and it's God's creation. It is beautiful, and it's here for us to enjoy and to be good stewards of the earth that we've been given. But then there are days when we wake up, and it's it's a hard day. And depending on what part of the world you grew up in, it can be a day where you don't even know if you're going to live through that day. See, sometimes when it's good, we're like, man, we love it here. And then when things are going bad, we're like, man, heaven sounds really good. Have you ever gone through times in your life where like, heaven sounded really good and you couldn't wait? And then other times you're like, you know, it's, it's a pretty good day. I'm, I'm all right today. But we need to make sure that we never forget exactly what heaven is. Because if we think this is good, imagine God making a world that was perfect, that was not broken. Can you imagine seeing that? That's our future. That's our hope in Jesus. That is our hope in Jesus. And Jesus said that he's gone ahead of us to prepare heaven for us. John 14 says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my house, there are many rooms. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of... It's a big, big table with lots and lots of... It's a big yard where we can play hockey, okay? It's a big ice rink to me, but your heaven may be different than mine. It's a big heaven, so here we go. But see, the the promise of Jesus, it enables patience because we're like, that's our hope. That is our hope in Jesus. So the hope gives us patience. The promise of heaven is our future hope, but James also identifies that we need patience today in our present reality And this is process, so we need to have patience through the process. And to outline this for us, James in 5, verses 8 through 9, he says it this way. He said, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. See, we are in a process, and patience enables us to stay in that process. And James could not have picked a better example for patience than a farmer. I know several farmers in my life, some in my family and some friends. If you want to see patience, you hang out with a farmer for a while because they know where it's at, don't they? You agree with that today? Farmers are incredibly patient. Farmers know where it's at. He says, just see at it. And one of the things that James is talking about, he says that you need to establish your heart. In other words, James is saying, get ready. Let your heart be rooted. See, as we look at the example of a farmer, farming is hard work. You look at a farmer, you see somebody who is very patient, but you also see a person who is very committed to hard work. They're always, they're getting the equipment ready because there's always maintenance and repair going on. They're getting the ground ready. They're prepping the soil. They're always making sure they have plenty of supplies on hand, getting everything that they need. They got the right seed. They got the right fertilizer. They've got enough gas. They're not just going to a gas station, but they've got their own gas out there because they know that they need it. They have all the additional tools. They have a team of people to help. They have friends that they call in for certain seasons. They're always getting ready. 
And as we look at our lives, we need to recognize that when James is saying that, he's talking about spiritual preparation because spiritually, we need to prepare ourselves, don't we? We don't wait till the end, but we put in these spiritual disciplines that we see all throughout Scripture, that we study to show ourselves to prove. That's what we're highlighting this morning with these kids in junior Bible quiz. Do you know that these words are going to stay with them forever? And it's going to lead them, it's going to guide them, it's going to give them hope, it's going to give them life. That's why I wanted to highlight it this morning and say, this is awesome. And I'm hoping that that will encourage us to continue in our Bible study. But there's also the disciplines of fasting. Of fasting and pulling back and saying, God, I recognize you as my supplier. Remove every distraction, I just want to hear you. Coming together, worshiping together, being together. We need all of these disciplines because we know that if we don't prepare our hearts, if we don't dig in, ground left to itself will do what? It'll grow weeds. Now, maybe your yard is different than mine, but my yard, when we first moved into our house, hadn't been touched for a long time, and it wasn't overflowed with rows and rows of cabbages. I love cabbage and carrots and blueberries. It was nothing but weeds. Nothing but weeds. It was so grown over that when we started cutting it back, someone said, I haven't seen that fence since the 90s. Because what does it do if it's left untended? It grows weeds. It grows weeds and it comes, and that's why spiritually we need to be tending. Because just like the farmer never stops getting ready, neither do we. We always need to pour in. We need that daily practice of spiritual disciplines in our life. Because, see, God is always speaking to us. But the challenge is that sometimes we don't hear because we're not ready. We're not tilling our ground. No farmer is going to go to a field full of weeds and full of all the blackberry bushes and just start throwing seeds in there, are they? Why? Because they know it's not going to take root, and if it does, the weeds are going to crowd it out, and you're never even going to get to it. We need to be men and women that are hungry for the voice of God, but that means that we need to be tilling the ground, getting ready just like the farmer. And part of that is what we're doing today, coming together and encouraging each other, looking at what's going on, hearing about how God is moving in our midst, hearing about how God is moving in our city, and encouraging one another there to where I'm going, man, i got to start pulling these weeds out. And sometimes I've got to go to some of you and go, man, i got a weed here that's hard to get out. Can you help me with this through the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you ever needed that? get something so rooted, you're like, help a brother out, because I'm, I'm pulling and nothing's happening. And there are some of those weeds that go on for a long time, and you need a community. Some come right out, and some don't. It's a deep weed. We need each other. Because if not, we'll stop tugging on that weed. We'll stop praying for that weed and saying, God, help me to get that out. We need each other to have patience. Because some things take decades, Something happened like that. And when it happens like that, I say, praise God. But are you like me? Do you have any weeds in your heart? You go, man, I've been pulling on that weed for a long time. (laughs) But are you committed to saying, I'm not going to give up? God is in my life. God, give me patience. Empower me through the Holy Spirit. Send me brothers and sisters to encourage me. That's the process that we are in. Because, see, once we plant the seed, we are committing to the growth process. When a farmer plants that seed, they're committing to it, Right? They've made commitment. They've done the work to get everything ready. They've got that seed to put in, but now they're committing to that process. They've prepped the ground. They've planted the seed, and they're trusting that God will bring growth. See, there's work that we do, but we know that it is only God that brings about that miracle of growth. We see this in 1 Corinthians where Paul is saying, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. The miracle is God, 
But sometimes we got to get some dirt under our fingernails and start pulling things out, working the ground, <coughs> monitoring the water, make sure that water is, is getting where it needs to go, pulling those little weeds that come out. Because, see, God has planted seeds, not just in others' lives, but God has planted seeds in your life. Do you recognize that as you look at your life? There are seeds in your life that you don't even know about. There are things that are going to pop up in your life that you don't know about. But as you lay your life before God and as you commit to doing the work, knowing the miracles with God, but coming in and laying it out, there are seeds that are going to come out in your life. And not just when you're a kid. There are seeds that have come up in my life brand new for the first time in my 40s. That seems ancient to you guys, like 40s, wow. Okay? There are seeds that are going to come out. I've seen people's life where seeds start, start taking root and start taking life in their 50s, their 60s, their 70s, 80s, even 90s. Because there are seeds of work in us. We need to stay committed no matter where we are to do that work. But as we walk along that work and see what God is doing, we need to recognize that there is a learning curve that comes along with patience. There's this learning curve because when we step out in this, we're going to need to climb. We need to climb because you know why? Jesus is a climber. When you walk with Jesus, the flat ground feels good, but he's just getting you ready to start going up. Following Jesus means that we will need to climb and that struggling is not abnormal, but struggling is normal, okay? How many are struggling today? You are normal. Look at all the normal people around you, okay? Struggling is normal. It's a part of that faith-building endurance and growing in Christ. But we need to recognize, and most climbers know this, but they know that the higher that you go, the less oxygen that there is for your muscles. Did you know that? The higher you go, the less oxygen there is for your muscles, and also the more prone you are to dehydration. Scientists have found out that at 6,000 feet, you perspire and exhale twice as much moisture as you did at sea level. Each step is more difficult because you're not just moving now in one direction forward, but you're also going up. So as you move forward, you're going up, and this takes more. The struggle is real. And this often surprises people when we're following Christ. Because we say, Christ is with me. Christ is in me. Christ is alive in me. Christ is empowering me. And that's all true, amen? But walking with Christ, he's saying, I'm getting you ready. Come on. Let's flex those muscles. No pain, no gain. Go hard, go home. You got to get there. You got to get there. That's part of it. I'm having a little emotional moment because that's my son's uh, mantra. You know, no pain, no gain. Every time I bang my head, he's like, no pain, no gain, Dad. (laughs) This is part of our life. Struggle is real. Struggle is normal. But we are strengthened through it, and we go through it. And again, it's why we need to go together. But that's also why James says, don't grumble. James chapter 5, 9 to 10, it says, do not grumble against one another. See, grumbling, it hurts, and it threatens the process that we're in. When you grumble, you're hurting yourself. See, grumbling hurts you because it's it's about being self-focused, and it makes you sink. Because after all, who wants to be around a grumbler? And when I kind of think about the grumbling, the first thing that kind of came to my mind was the Grinch. (laughs) Any Grinch fans out there? Right? What does the Grinch say? You're an idiot. (laughs) You should do it my way. Why are they doing that? I know better than you. It's this constant grumbling. 
See, grumbling, it hurts you, but it also hurts those around you because it confuses them and it shakes them. Because we're confused about it. And you move from being a safe place to an unsafe place. Because we often know that if you're complaining about that person, are you complaining about me when I'm gone? (laughs) Grumbling. It keeps people from seeing Jesus. Philippians 2, it says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that, and all the Pastor Bobs, ya-ta-ta-ta, you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. See, grumbling puts attention on the complainer, but when we get that away from us, we shine like the stars, and it takes very little to shine today. You be an encourager, people will run to you. You extend love towards people, they will run to you because it's getting harder and harder to find on a consistent basis. Love people. Don't grumble. That needs to not even be a part of us. Now, I want to point out that there's a difference in grumbling and processing. See, when I talk about grumbling, I'm not talking about disagreement because there are times we're going to disagree and there's times that disagreement is important because we're processing. See, grumbling is that private debate. There's no accountability. There's arrogance and it fosters loneliness and isolation because it's all about you, my way, highway. But processing is from a place of humility with a humble heart. A humble heart. It invites others into the process. And this is an important process, but it respects others, and it's a teachable spirit. It's not just about what I have to say, but it's about what you have to say. That's why James says that we need to be slow to speak and quick to... Because processing is important because we can get off on the wrong path. We can say things that are wrong, and we need to have lives that are open to it, but it needs to be with that humble heart, not grumbling but talking. Do you see the difference today? So I'm not saying that disagreeing is wrong. I'm saying we need to process together, humbly, going to people, but, but not grumbling. Grumbling tears down. And James even outlines it here. He says that there's judgment for those who grumble. There's judgment for those who grumble. James 5, 9, it says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. See, because God's a good father, and because he loves us, and because he's strengthening us, he will always judge things that hurt us. Amen? If there's something in your life that hurts you, God's going to come in not to shame you, but to call it out and say, that's going to destroy you. And often the things that destroy us will destroy others. And so James is saying, cut it out. This is not helpful. Because, see, there's a danger in interrupting the process. And so often this is what grumbling does. See, when you interrupt the process that we're in, it often kills the plant. Jesus outlined this in Matthew 13 with the parable of the sower. And then in Galatians 6, 9, it says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season you will reap if you do not give up. And then previously in Galatians 5, it says, You were running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? See, the voice of the Lord would say to you today, Don't give up. Don't give up. You're right there. Stay in the process. I know the struggle is real. I know I'm bringing you higher, but man, get ready for the view that you're going to see from the top of this mountain. Get ready what I'm going to show you, but stay in the process. Be patient. Trust me. Hear my voice. 
till the ground so that you can hear my voice. I'm speaking to you. Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? That's what God says to me a lot. Do you understand, Dwayne, what I'm saying? Till the ground. Get every distraction out. I want my life to be bare before God where I hear his voice. I can say, Lord, speak. Your servant's listening. Take the weeds out. Help me to hear because I don't want to miss it. And this brings us to our last point this morning, which is patience through prayer. Prayer is amazing. What a gift. And this is our eternal posture. That's why James, he's coming down to the end and here in 513, he's saying, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So he's identifying a couple things here. He's saying, are you suffering? Then pray. Our first response in every situation is to turn to God and say, God, you are my God. Why am I here? Help me, God. I'm suffering here. But then he also says, secondly, that first we turn to God, but he, James is also instructing us to turn to the body of Christ when he says in 514, he says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of our Lord. See, when we pray for each other, it connects us. You want to get close to somebody? Go to them and say, you know what? I'm, I'm really struggling with this problem that I have, or this is going on in my life, I'm suffering, would you pray for me? Do you know how that knits your hearts together? How many of you found that to be true? Now go to somebody that you trust, but find somebody, and you watch that friendship just deepen, and you watch them as they go, you know what, you brought this and trusted it to, to me, I've got something I'm going through, because everyone's going through something, right? I got stuff, you got stuff, all God's children got stuff, <laughs> But we need each other. we got to go to each other, pray for one another. But then James also says, enjoy. See, our first response is to give thanks to God and to give him praise. Why? Because every good and perfect gift comes from God, our Father. Everything is from him. So enjoy. Our first response needs to be, thank you, God. Because see, how we handle joy, it reveals our heart. Is it because of God or is it because of me? Every good thing that's happened in my life is because of God. Every relationship, everything that's come to my life is because of God. Now, is there work required of me? Yes. But it's only as I obey the voice of God, and it's only as he empowers and allows that to come to fruition. Everything, everything is because of God. So we need to give him the credit in everything. So it's, it's not just in suffering that we pray. It's also in joy that we pray. But James is also, as he rounds his corner, he's even saying that in rebellion, we need to pray. In rebellion. And here, as we look at this, we, we, we see how Jesus always addressed the physical and the spiritual because both need healing. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. See, sometimes our suffering is a result of sin. Sometimes it's our own sin, sometimes it's the sin of others, but sin's path is always to destruction and it's always to death. So James here, he's laying it on the table and he's saying, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Now, let me do a note here. James is not saying that sickness is always linked to sin, right? So Psalm comes up and says, man, 
I got a cough. Excuse me, well, Pastor Dwayne, there's obviously sin in your life, okay? Well, obviously there is. We're all sinners. <laughs> but that's not what James is saying. But what he's saying is that so much of the hurt and the wrong and the things that are happening in this world are the result of sin. And even sometimes in our own life, we're struggling and we're sick. And it's because there's sin that needs to be dealt with. Because, again, the physical and the spiritual are always connected. Scientists, doctors, psychologists know this. How many have found that when you're under great stress that your body starts feeling the effects of it? Have you found that? Oh, my goodness, I have. And I've often been in denial of that. I'm like, why am I sick? Well, you're under stress. Yeah, but that shouldn't affect it. I can forget about it. You really can't. These things are always connected to each other. See, our world is broken and has fallen. What would our world look like if everyone loved their neighbor the way that God defines it? Remember the golden rule? Have you heard of that before? If not, ask one of these junior Bible quizzers. They can tell it to you. What's the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's not do unto others before they do unto you, and it's not do unto others what they did to you. That's revenge, right? But it's do unto them as you would have them do unto you. This is, how our, this is the foundation that we're built on. This is so important in our life. But in all this, James emphasizes not just prayer, but he's emphasizing the importance of righteous prayer. The importance of being righteous. James 5.16. It says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And, and some of us growing up always heard the word, The prayer of a righteous person availeth much. In the message it says it this way. It says, The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. See, fulfilling God's plan, it's only possible through him. And Jesus called us to be righteous. He said in Matthew 5, he said, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But righteousness is only possible through Jesus Christ. It's only possible through him. Romans 3 says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is our righteousness. See, righteousness through Jesus, it enables us to hear God. And hearing is a big part of prayer. Prayer isn't just coming with your Christmas wishes and saying, God, I want this, I want this, I want this. It's saying, God, what would you say to me? Speak to my heart. Show me, oh God. This is the righteous prayer. Speak to my life and show me. Romans 10 even says that faith comes from hearing. It's hearing. This is the power of prayer. And James outlines this by looking at the life of Elijah. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. He wasn't living in Seattle. Then he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Do you remember Elijah? Those of you that have studied about him? Elijah was the Old Testament prophet who faced off, hockey term, with the prophets of the false god Baal on Mount Carmel. The prophets of Baal, they call upon their god all day long for rain and fire to come from heaven, and nothing happens. He's saying, you think your god's so big? Let's have a face-off. Let's try this out and see what happens. They do their thing. Nothing happens. And then Elijah, in obedience to God, he builds an altar. 
They pour water on it. They build a trench around it. He said, are you good? And then the power of God comes down and it quenches. And it even licks up all the water in the trough. To step out in that way requires somebody who's saying, God, let your righteousness be in me. Because there's no way that I would go out and face off unless I heard from God, unless I knew God, and I knew all the way along the way that he's given me direction. It's living that life before God, saying, Lord, like the prayer of David, is there anything in my life that offends you? Show me, Lord. I don't want there to be anything. Work in my life. Help me, O God. Help me, O God. It's the righteous prayer. And as the worship team comes this morning, Here's the question I have to ask you. Are there things that you're facing off with in your life? Are there challenges and things that are coming up? How many, and I'd like for you to show some boldness this morning. How many of there's a situation that you're facing off with and you're saying, God, I need your help. Unless God, hold, hold your hand up. I'm holding both hands up. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's work. As we walk into these situations, we don't want to just have our answers. But we know that in so many situations, God has placed us there for his glory to be revealed. And there are even times as I've walked into, into situations, I've found that the, the more stressed it is, I go to God and I say, God, all right, before I go in there, show me, is there any ulterior motive in my, in my heart? Is there anything in my life that you need to get rid of? And the Lord reveals it. And we deal with it. Do you know how much better that meeting goes than meetings before I pray, meetings that I don't pray in? Have you experienced that to be true? This is what James was talking about, that patience. God, be in my life. I want to hear you. I want to know you. I want to walk in your ways. But it takes patience that only comes through you. And as we respond today, and these are in your, in your listening guide. Just a few questions. Where is it difficult, ask yourself, for me to be patient? Where is it hard? Is my life filled with hope? Am I a person that's walking in hope? Why or why not? Ask yourself, how am I doing in the process? Do I recognize the process? Am I confused by the process? Am I resisting the process? And then everything comes down to prayer. How's my prayer life? Am I hungry to get before the Lord? Bring that question to the Lord. You know it's okay to say, God, I struggle with prayer. I struggle with talking to you. <laughs> Is God threatened by that? No. He's saying, come on to me. And ask yourself, are there areas in your life where you need to confess sin? We live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world where temptation is everywhere. And the posture of followers of Christ are people that constantly go to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. It's that sanctification process. It's that work of continually giving it over to the Lord. Over to the Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? And as we head into this re re response time, as we've talked about the need for patience, the need for confession of sin, the need for saying, Lord, I'm here, open my heart, open my eyes. We have this beautiful reflection of the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table. We have tables in the balcony, tables here, where we take the bread, recognizing the body broken for us. 
his blood spilt for us, for the forgiveness of our sin, for our healing. As the band plays and sing, let me invite you to step out. We also have prayer teams up in the balcony. And if you guys could go ahead and go to, your, go to those areas now as well as here on the floor. These are people who have been praying for you, praying. Let's take some time to pray with one another. Or maybe you just want to turn to the person next to you and say, man, help me in this. I need patience in this area. Or I'm dealing, I'm trying to pull this weed out, and it's just, would you help me? Would you help me? And maybe you just want to go to the prayer wall and just write down your prayer today. Let's just take a few moments before we head off today. And let's respond to the voice of the Lord.